The Old Testament reading is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the word of the Lord. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except for the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to be here with you all today. Um, what a beautiful space this is. Um, uh, for those who don't know me, and this is my first time here, so that be most of you. Uh, my name is Norman. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at King's Cross Church. We're out in Flushing. Um, just by way of introduction, um, things about me. Um, I like good coffee. Um, I, I make my own coffee every morning. Um, pour over is my general, for those of you who are interested. Um, I like working out of cafes. Um, I guess if there's one thing that you should know about me, it would be my family. Um, my family's most important thing to me. Um, I'm married to my wife, Stephanie, uh, just shy of 10 years now. Um, I'm a girl dad. I have three daughters, uh, Rahema, Selah, and Isaiah. Uh, you can ask me about their names later if you're interested. Um, my family and I, we just returned from a two-week trip 
uh, camping. We've been camping for two weeks uh, with a, a short cabin stay in the middle just to get like good showers. Um, we were camping in the Catskills for about two weeks, and we spent lots of time together, uh, lots of good, meaningful time, uh, good conversations, a lot of singing, <laughs> a lot of guess the tune, um, just being disconnected from this city and the busyness that's here. It's, been, it's, it's, good. it's good for the soul. Um, there was no service there. Um, I know uh, uh, Andrea and, and others had, were emailing me throughout the week, but I only, can only respond once. <laughs> um, we love the outdoors. Uh, we were out there uh, for two weeks, um, but we also love the city. Um, our family, we live in Woodside, which, which isn't too far from here. I biked here this morning. Um, and as this is my first time here, I do take some comfort knowing that um, our churches are probably very similar. We share a lot in common. We're, we're both in Queens. I feel like that, that sets us apart in some way. Um, and I hope that this morning I can share with you, as I would share with my own congregation out in Flushing. Um, so just a few weeks ago, uh, our, our, our leadership, our church leadership, we gathered in person for the first time. Um, it, was a, it was kind of a big deal because um, we haven't seen each other for a long time. It was our first time gathering in person since our church reopened in-person service in mid-June. And our church, like many in the city, maybe like yours, was really excited to get together. You know, we haven't been together in so long. Lots of hugs. Well, actually, lots of air hugs. Um, but it was just good to see people face-to-face. -face. Um, and we turned it up to 11. You know, we had meetings, we had gatherings, game nights, picnics, every, everything you could think of now that we could get together. But we didn't realize that people were spent. People were tired. You know, at this meeting, our leaders were telling us, we're excited, but we're also drained. We're really, really tired. And if there's one refrain that I keep on hearing at, at my church lately, it's this. I'm tired. I'm tired. Um, do any of you feel that way? And, and it's not just about reopening. I mean, that has its own burdens, you know. Um, the, there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And in today's passage, um, today's passage is not just the John passage. It's actually um, the, the first King's passage as well. Uh, maybe mostly the King, first King's passage. So it was good to hear it twice this morning. Um, I was following on in my rudimentary Spanish from elementary school. Um, but it, in this passage, we find that Elijah, he is similarly spent. He is, he is tired. He's on the run. And he thinks he can't go on. But we also find Jesus in, in the John 6 passage echoing the Father's care for his own prophet that we saw in 1 Kings and for his people sustaining and nourishing us, restoring us to who we ought to be. And it's my prayer this morning as we, um, as we look into the word, as we just sang, speak, O Lord, that he would speak to our souls, that we would find true rest. We would find true rest this morning, rest that lasts, rest that is, that is sturdy enough to withstand the, the hardships of today. Um, so with that, I invite you, uh, Astoria Community Church, ACC, as I heard someone, I guess that's a normal acronym here, ACC, pray with me as we um, ask the Lord to speak. Jesus, uh, we come to you. We come to you 
asking for your sustenance, provide for our needs, and bring us back to life. Restore our souls. I pray that the Spirit will enable me this morning to speak truth with boldness. Lead us home. Lead us home. Lead us to rest in the presence of our Heavenly Father who loves us. And open our hearts now, we pray. Amen. So we're looking at the life of Elijah. Um, in your bulletin, you'll find today's passage actually in the front, as I said before, from 1 Kings 19 and on the back from John 6. And from what we just heard um, about Elijah's life, he seems, um, seems kind of down. Uh, he seems just he's had it. You would never guess um, that this passage that we just heard from 1 Kings 19 it happens just after the big showdown that many of us know from Elijah's life. Uh, for those who don't know, um, let me fill you in. And, and for those who, who do know, um, listen anyway, because the Bible's awesome. Um, so listen, I'm just going to recap really quick. Uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they were the rulers of Israel at the time. And they led Israel into all kinds of evil. Uh, the Bible actually tells us it says that King Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, to provoke the Lord's anger than all the kings before him. So God sent Elijah. He sent Elijah to judge Israel, telling, Ahab, king, telling king Ahab that there would be no rain and no dew except by Elijah's word. There would be a severe drought because of what they've done. This was a judgment. But the evil continued. They didn't listen. King Ahab continued to do evil things before the Lord. And not only did they lead the people astray, uh, Queen Jezebel, in the same story, Queen Jezebel, she ordered all the prophets of God, all the servants of the Lord, killed. She killed all of them. And the ones that were able to escape, well, they were hiding. They were hiding in the wilderness in caves. And Elijah was among them. He, he, was, he was Israel's most wanted. And because of the drought, Ahab had this, uh, he dubbed him the, the troubler of Israel, some campaign against him, propaganda campaign. No, don't, don't follow him. Elijah was Israel's most wanted, and after several years, years of drought, years of drought, not just 18 months, years, and this is a story that's found in all of our children's Bibles, God calls Elijah out of hiding to face King Ahab. Elijah, the single prophet of the Lord, he calls out all the prophets of Baal, over 400 of them, to a demonstration of power, a trial by combat, if you will. Uh, two sacrifices were prepared, you know this story, uh, without fire, which God would answer the call of their people. The prophets of Baal went first. They prayed, they called upon their God to send fire Upon the sacrifice, they cut themselves, they screamed louder and louder, but nothing happened. Hours and hours passed, nothing happened. And then finally, Elijah calls all the people, come, come, come witness the power of the true and living God who hears the prayers of his people. And then he prayed, and then fire Fire came down from heaven, and the entire sacrifice was consumed. And just, just as all the prophets of God were killed, 
Elijah, and this part is not in the children's Bibles usually, Elijah orders a slaughter of all the prophets of Baal. They were all killed, the people who led the people astray. And then Elijah prays for rain, and it rains. It rains. Judgment was reversed. For Elijah, he thought everything was done. He thought he had won a great victory for the Lord, and he, and he tells Ahab, Ahab, King Ahab, let me give you something. Let me tell you, you go back to your city of Jezreel. And what does Elijah do? He races him there on foot. He is so overjoyed. He, he runs. It's about 15 miles that he's running. He outpaces uh, King Ahab there. So he runs 15 miles to Jezreel. Um, but Queen Jezebel, who was in the city at the time, she learns about the death of her prophets. And instead of a welcome party for Elijah the victor, um, a messenger from Jezebel greets Elijah at the gates. And these are the verses just before uh, verse 3 in your bulletins today. The messenger comes and greets Elijah at the gates and says to him the message. And the message is this, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah knew this same Jezebel that killed all the prophets of God before, she doesn't make empty threats. And just as he ran 15 miles uh, to Jezreel, um, Elijah then runs, and you don't always get the sense of this distance when we read this passage, Elijah then runs to Judah about 100 miles. Like, who knew that we had a long-distance runner among the prophets? He runs over 100 miles to escape the wrath of Jezebel. And this is the immediate backdrop to our passage today. That's why he's so tired in verse 3. Today, we're looking at this moment, this moment in Elijah's life, the intersection of victory and defeat. Because Elijah, he was longing for rest. But at this moment, he couldn't get it. It eluded him. And in conversation with our present moment, where many of us feel tired and drained and exhausted, I believe this text has something to tell us this morning about rest. It tells us something about rest. And one thing that I want to dwell on for a little while is, is this, that we don't know what truly gives us rest. We don't know what truly gives us rest. Because you see in this story, Elijah thought that he would be satisfied with rest when all his enemies were gone. That's why he's running to Jezreel. This is not his home city. He thought if all of his enemies were gone, he could find rest finally there. All the prophets of Baal were dead, right? King Ahab obeyed his orders. The king obeyed him after their defeat. So I can only imagine the shock as he arrived in the city of Jezreel and received this messenger from Queen Jezebel. I thought this would be my first night sleeping in a bed, no, not on a rock, not looking over my shoulder for uh, assassins from the, from the queen. Real rest. I wanted to sleep. And now this messenger comes, and I have, I have to get out. I have to go back out there. I have to go back to the wilderness. I just got here. We just took off our masks. We just, started, start, we just started life. And what's going on? This can't keep on going. And, and if your church is anything like mine, 
many of our members talk about being burnt out. You know, you, um, when serving the church or, or loving the community drains us. Sometimes it's tiring doing what God desires. It's tiring. And, and if your church is like mine, what, what, what many in my church seem to prescribe for themselves and claim for themselves, they, they say, I need a break. Um, I need a break. Let, let me take a few weeks off from serving. Let me, take, let me wake up a bit later this morning instead of coming to set up. I think I've given enough. I, I need to recharge. Um, in our day jobs, we often do the same, right? Overwork, and then um, I need a mental health day. I'm sick today. Um, I need a me day, which sometimes means that we're just going to veg out and uh, binge watch something for several hours until what, oh, it's dinner time. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think these things are good things. We need them. Some of us need to engage in taking a break from, from work, from doing things. But we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that this is all that we need, that this is all that we need, that it would actually restore us in our deepest parts. So often, we think if, if, if we can get a break, just a day off, we can be restored. I, and I've done this. My suspicion is that maybe many of you have done that as well. But again, we don't know what truly gives us rest. Because if you think back to the last time this happened, after that week off, after that uh, mental health day, after that, that break from serving, we feel just as drained and just as tired as we did before. So we repeat the cycle, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't sleep long enough. Next time, I need two hours more. Let's do this again. In, in church, sometimes we dress it up in, um, in spiritual language. We, we say we need a sabbatical. And sabbaticals are good, but I don't know if we always understand what sabbaticals are. Um, we need a sabbat. We need a we need a spiritual day off, is what we say sometimes. Um, the late pastor and writer Eugene Peterson, who I who I admire a lot, I, I recommend anything that he's written. Um, Eugene Peterson, who who wrote the message that some of you might be familiar with, he once critiqued these spiritual days off, and he said this, and, and this is a quote. So I hope I'm not getting in trouble. These are his words. All right, he says, he says, a day off is a bastard Sabbath. Days off are not without benefits, to be sure, but Sabbaths, they are not. The motivation is utilitarian. They, it makes us feel better. Relationships improve. We may even get more done in the six days than we would on the seven, but the day off is at service to the six working days. Even our days off are enslaved by our work. We take breaks for the purpose of more labor. Our deepest sense of self, it doesn't get the light of day. We're just resting in order to do more work. We have this masquerade of rest when our inner selves continue to be restless, hidden, suppressed. We don't get to be who we were meant to be. Just like Elijah, we think we have rest when we have security and control over our situations. That's what we try to do. We chase after it our whole, our whole lives, trying to get security, trying to get our, our enemies gone so that we can rest. We want to control, but it's foolishness. 
Sooner or later, a Jezebel sends a messenger our way, and our lives spiral. We've had a whole year of Jezebel messengers. You know, racial, political, familial reckonings that we have yet to deal, to get, deal with together as a community. And having everything open and come at once, it's overwhelming. Sometimes we can't see anything else. We only see the problems before us. We're captive. If we look at this past year, it feels like we've been hiding in the wilderness, hiding in caves, a social wilderness without community. We've had to deal with new contours of racism, of sexuality and gender, of history and erasure, of silencing. Uh, for my church, uh, some of us in the, in the AAPI community, we, we've had to learn and wrestle with our unknown or suppressed history. But it's too much. We lament with Elijah in the passage. He says, we're no better than our ancestors. We're no better than our ancestors. If they couldn't fix it, how could I? How could we do anything? So instead of trying to find rest through security and control, we go the other way. We try to find rest by giving up. I don't want to care anymore. Elijah shouts at God, just kill me already. I've had enough. I've had enough. But look at the heart of God. How does God respond? How does God respond to us when we, when we feel this way, when we shout this at God in our hearts? If we're brave enough to shout it with our lips, how does God respond? He meets Elijah with grace. You see, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and he doesn't, he doesn't shout back at us. When exhaustion turns us inside out, he doesn't patronize Elijah. Uh, hello? Uh, didn't I just answer you with fire from heaven? Did you forget? He doesn't guilt trip Elijah for losing his cool. He meets him with grace. He meets him with grace. God sends his own messenger with a stronger message twice that you just heard, twice to Jezebel's messenger going once. In our passage, when it says an angel, um, it's actually the same word for messenger. I, for some reason, when translators see that word, and it's from a human, it's a messenger, but when it's from God, it's an angel, but it's the same. Like, if you're reading it, you see that God counters Jezebel's messenger with, with his own. Because after running about 120 miles on foot, Elijah is he might actually get his death wish. So God's messenger comes not with a message of death, as Jezebel's did, but with a message for life. Get up. Get up. Eat. Yes, our tiredness is an indication that we need sleep. Our hunger is an indication that we need food. But all of that it points to a deeper hunger in our souls that we need God. We need God. Our tiredness ultimately points to our fundamental need to be united with God, to be at rest, not just at rest before the Lord. If you know the Psalms, like a weaned child with its mother is my soul within me. Our souls long for this. St. Augustine said our, our, our souls are restless till they find their rest in him. We need God. We need to be at rest before the Lord. No doubt this past year 
We're still wrestling with it now. This year has tested all of us. Many have been adrift at sea. There's many in my congregation that had to wrestle with their upbringing, wrestle with the things that they thought to be true. Is it still true? Was I tricked? Can I trust? Can I trust God? Can I trust what I was taught? Elijah was a prophet who had done everything right when everyone was doing something wrong. He did everything right. He had seen and done wonders. He had a front row seat to see God's glory. Yet his story shows us that that even when you've seen the glory of God right in front of you, when you've experienced, when you've been in church your whole life, we are still prone to forget. If you've been in the church your whole life, even if, if, you're, a, if you're a community group leader or a small group leader, I'm not sure if you call it the same thing. Um, if you're an elected leader, a diaconate member, an elder, maybe even more so, you need to remember this, that we are prone to wander, that we need God. We are prone to wander, as the old hymn goes. But God is gracious. He reminds us of his grace. He feeds us with what we need to be fully ourselves. Arise and eat. Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. It's too much. Get up and eat. You see, in doing so, what God is doing, what the Lord is doing, that he's doing personally for Elijah, what he's always done for his people. In the founding uh, story of Israel, uh, the the Exodus story that many of you may know, um, the people also grumbled. They were exhausted They complained to God in their exhaustion and frustration because they were in the wilderness. You should just let us die. It was better. Death is better. They shouted at God. But God responded with grace. He he gave them manna, bread from heaven, enough to last each day so they would have to keep going to God for more, enough to last each day so that they would not forget that their fundamental need is not for bread. It's not for a, a bed, for food, for, for sleep, their fundamental need was God. The provider, manna, led them to God. Elijah similarly received grace. He received miraculous food, a kind of a lemdis bread, if you know what that is, that sustained him for, for 40 days. And one meal, 40 days and 40 nights, until he reached Mount Horeb. Um, also known as Mount Sinai, the Mount of God, where the Israelites received manna. And then, the later verses, Elijah met with God. Elijah met with God. This food led him, this heavenly food led him to the Lord. In Jesus' ministry, in John 6, hungry and exhausted crowds followed him. And just as the Lord had done in the past with Israel and with Elijah, Jesus fed the crowds. He fed them because he loves and cares. The the gospel tells us he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loves and cares for you. But he also pointed out that mere food is lacking. The things that satisfy the belly is lacking. In the earlier verses in chapter 6, Jesus tells them, you came to me because I fed you. I fed you, and you follow me. You keep on following me around the Sea of Galilee. If you know the the narrative, like Jesus is trying to get some space because they were trying to make him king because he can make food out of a lunch. Um, Jesus 
says, you came to me because I fed you, and you follow me because you want to see more food. But Jesus tells them, there's a bread that will give you true satisfaction, true rest, true bread, the true bread that has come down from heaven. There's this bread that's available for you. But the people, they were like, give us this bread always. And for us today, you know, how do we get this bread? How do we get this heavenly meal that will make us at rest with God to satisfy the deepest part of our souls, the deepest part of our being, um, our whole self? How do we get this bread? We, we can't, I don't think any of us can call down manna from heaven. I don't think we can count on angels or messengers from God to bring us the divine meal by our pillows so that when we wake up, there's hot bread and water. Jesus tells him, and he tells us today, he says, he says, I, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He's telling us that through me, Jesus says, through me, you will find rest with God. He is telling us that our deepest need, our deepest need finds its fulfillment in him. It's in him. You see, just as our hunger, our tiredness, our hardships, they, they point to our deepest need. Just as they point to our deepest needs, they are just shadows. The hardships we face are just shadows cast by our greatest enemy. There's a greater enemy behind these trials we face. We experience hardship because we live in this fallen world, in this broken world where even our best efforts to solve the world's problems, our best efforts to do right, how many of us are trying to do the right thing? And it just, it just topples down on itself. It, everything falls to ruin. It results in death. Death. Death is what lurks behind our hunger, our exhaustion, our restlessness, Sin and death are the ultimate enemy behind what is wrong with our lives and with the world. And here we are, many of us, trying to fight death with an extra hour of sleep. We're trying to fight separation from God with a vacation or a week off. And Jesus is saying, this, this is not enough. This is foolishness. And he loves us enough. Jesus loves us enough. He cares about us enough to tell us that he is the bread that gives life. He is the bread of life. The bread. There is no other. He said, the bread I will give for the life of the world, what does he say? Is my flesh. My flesh. Church, you see, on the cross, Jesus gave his flesh. He took on everything that was wrong with our lives and with the world. He took the curse of broken creation, this world that, that falls apart whenever we try to hold it, he took the curse of broken creation, death itself. He took on the death that was due to us because of sin. He took it upon himself so that we, we the, pe the, the people who are following him, looking for rest, we can have the life that he lived, the life that was with God. He lived life with God. He is the bread of life so that if we take him in, if we trust him, we are, we are united with him and with God. We shall, we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, if you, are, if you are tired, if you are hungry, feed on the bread of life. 
feed on the bread of life. Only in Jesus can you face and overcome the death which seeks to to devour us, to eat us. We could never by our own, own efforts overcome death. The journey is too much for us, the text says. The journey is too much for us. But maybe you're thinking after all this, what is this? Why should we listen to this claim that Jesus could give us true rest? Is this just a, you know, a, different, a change in perspective, a rearranging of the furniture of our lives? Is, is Norman just giving some like B-rated TED talk? Like, what am I doing here? Why should we take in this bread of life? In other words, why should we trust what Jesus is saying? Why should we trust him? How is it trustworthy? Can he really make all things right? Can he? And the answer is yes. We can, we can, we can trust him because he's already done it. He's already done it. Jesus, when he says, I offer my flesh, when he went to the cross, he died. But then, this is, this is the good news. He rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death when he died and rose again. The resurrection. Because church, you see, if, if not for the resurrection, this whole thing about trusting Jesus, about taking him in, about feeding on the bread of life, it would just be a suggestion. It would just be a suggestion. If not for the resurrection, this would just be a change of scenery. Uh, an escape to the Catskills for two weeks. A new perspective on life, you know. But the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. Because the resurrection is kind of like a little time machine. It shows us what's, what will happen at the end. It's already done. Jesus shows us in his resurrection that he has overcome death, sin and death. The good news is that Jesus is risen of the dead, showing that, that sin and death, which taunts us every day with hardships that we face, sin and death does not get the last word. It does not get the last word. He invites us to share in that victory over sin and death by trusting in him. So church, people of God, visitors, friends that are here, and I include myself there, what have we been feeding on? What have we been hoping in to sustain us for the journey? Will you trust in the gospel, the resurrection, that Jesus has won the victory on the cross and has given us rest before the Lord in the presence of God? Just very practically, if you're spent, um, if you're spent, if you're tired, uh, this sermon is not against sleeping or taking breaks, or going on vacation. No, it, it, in a city like ours, we do need to let go of the idol of our culture to continue to work and produce and, and, and be successful. We need to let that go. So with wise counsel and good community, as I, as I see here, take those needed breaks. But, and I will add this, don't make the mistake thinking that this food um, this Instagrammable meal, this, this adventure, this vacation that we're going on, don't make the mistake of thinking that that will restore your soul, that it would restore your whole self. While tending to these things, don't forget the essential thing that they point to, that we need to be at rest before the Lord. 
He wants to restore our souls. So Jesus says to us today, I know you're tired, but there's a deeper rest I want you to enter into, to engage in. I want to give you rest for your souls. I know you're tired. I know you're spent. Get up. Eat. Take of me. Take of what I've done on the cross. Know who you are in light of who I am. Get up and eat. You, know, you need to know and experience that I am with you. I am, I am in you. I am with you even through your hardships, especially through the hardships we face today. Get up. Eat. For the journey is too much for you. Jesus offers himself all that he is, all that he's done for us, the bread of life, for the life that we live today. Feed on me, he says, otherwise you'll be devoured, you'll be consumed, enslaved by your work. The journey is too much for you. Take and eat for your life. Amen. Would you pray with me? Good shepherd and care of our souls, we pray these words as King David did. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores our souls, our whole self. He leads me in paths of righteousness, of goodness, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, in, in the presence of all my hardships, you prepare a feast. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows with goodness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And because of what you've done on the crosses, what you've done in defeating sin and death, I, we will dwell in your house forever at rest before our Lord and King. Amen.